text this morning is Psalm 32 and verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Friends, in this life we all need guidance. And that's really the theme of these verses. You know, we look at the world around us and it is messy, it is broken, it is ruined. The question is, how are we to navigate through that? Where do you look for guidance? Where do you look for clarity of thought and perspective when decisions need to be made? Now, as believers, if that is our state this morning, we should only ever be looking to the Lord in his word. And this verse carries with it a very wonderful promise and instruction for the child of God. And so right away, there is a distinction that needs to be made. These promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. And so they are for the believer. This is not some sort of general idea. And so, dear friend, if you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, not only do you have no true guide in life and death, but you're without hope. You have no direction. You have no purpose. You are, you are lost in this world. But God in his mercy has brought you here this morning and before you is the way of life, the true path, the narrow way. And if you turn from sin and self and you come to Jesus Christ and you believe in him, his saving work on the cross, if you know sin's forgiven, you life in him, you will also know the joy of having a loving Savior who will never leave you, who will be with you and guide you, and he will be your guide through this world and to glory in the next. And so this promise this morning is for those who, who know the Lord, those who are children of God. And so, friend, that is the first thing you need to consider. Am I the Lord's? Am I trusting in Christ? And then, if you are, we have these wonderful things before us. And first, I want to bring a, a clarification. There are two views amongst Bible commentators as to who is actually speaking in verse 8. So those words, I will instruct you and teach you. Now, there are some and, uh, prominent men, and they believe that verse 8, the person who is speaking is David. And so they say that this is David speaking, and he's a man of tremendous experience of following the Lord. He's a, a man taught of God. He's a man described as being one after God's own heart. And they argue that because he walked so closely with God and he got all this great experience and stores of spiritual wisdom, that David is offering to guide others in the light of his own experience. Now, of course, it's true, isn't it, that the more mature a Christian becomes, the more help they can be to others in the faith to come alongside. That's a lovely thing. But that's not what is happening here. I would take the view, dear friends, that this is God speaking. Now, let me give you a reason to explain why this is God and not David. If you look at the latter part of verse 8, there's just something very simple and very obvious. I will guide you with my eye. Now, for those who say that this is David, it's difficult to understand how they can say that David will guide us with his eye. In that sense, he could barely be able to sort of guide those who were his contemporaries, those around him at the time, never mind the Lord's people living thousands of years later. And so the only satisfactory explanation is that this is God who is speaking and that his eye, the all-seeing, all-knowing eye, as it were, is upon his people. And so we have a very precious statement concerning the readiness of God and the willingness of God to guide us and to lead us throughout life, to instruct us and to carry us forward. 
And then you have this illustration which is coupled with our promise in verse 9. And that shows that we're not to be like a horse or like a mule, mules being proverbially stubborn creatures without understanding. And if you want an animal like that to obey you, you've got to use instruments, bits, bridles. You know, that's the warning. He says, don't be so foolish, so stubborn, so willful as to not look to the Lord. Proverbs 14, 12 is a clear reminder. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. You know, if we are believers, God has given to us understanding. We are to follow his word. We're not just to go our own way. We are to heed his promptings. We are to walk in his ways. And the word of God, it checks our conduct. It keeps us on the right path. And the spiritual guidance brings us to the right destination in the right way, the path to life, not death. And God is gracious and he lovingly desires to lead his people through this troubled life. And so we shouldn't be so stupid to resist that. But you know, if we do, he may bring some affliction, some difficulty to us, which forces us to listen to his voice and and brings us into line. Just as a, a loving parent has to discipline a child for their good when they become disobedient or unruly, so the Lord does with us as his children. And many times in our lives, God has to bring us up. He has to bring something into our lives which makes us wise, which causes us to throw ourselves back on him. And so this is God speaking with a wonderful promise. And then there is a a warning that comes after it. But I want you to see here that in this promise, there are two types of guidance. And God's guidance of his people really has two different elements, and both are found here. And the first type of guidance is what is often called moral and spiritual guidance. Now, the scriptures are a treasury of truth, and they instruct us in the matters of life and eternity. They are this wonderful directory of teaching, vital in giving us guidance in how to live, how to conduct our lives to the glory of God. As one has said, the Bible is the sinner's handbook as to how we should behave in every way and in every situation, we know what pleases the Lord. And you know, if you're a a Christian this morning, sometimes we ask that question, well, what's the will of God for my life? Well, in a very clear way, the will of God for your life and for mine is our sanctification. And the Word gives us so much that we should be about as believers. There are many things, and obedience is key. And so there are are many things, many exhortations in the Word of God which are the very basic things that we should be about and should be the priority in our lives. And so there is that moral and spiritual guidance in the Word of God. And secondly, there is the kind of guidance that is often called particular guidance. God's day-by-day providential guiding. You know, for example, supposing you want to know what job you should apply for. The Bible gives you all the great general principles. It doesn't say, well, you should be a gardener, you should be an engineer. Those things aren't found in Scripture quite like that. We don't grab a Bible and put a blindfold on, put our finger on a verse and hope that somehow we'll receive some mystical guidance. The Bible shouldn't be used like that. You know, biblical principles give those clear guidelines and, you know, give us those parameters, those principles. 
Or you think in the whole matter of relationships, you know, if a person is considering who to marry, they, you know, maybe they've met someone and they're thinking, is this the right person? Well, the Bible lays out those general rich principles, you know, about how, you know, if you're a believer, you shouldn't be pursuing unbelievers. You know, you're looking for someone who's spiritually strong and all those characteristics that the Word of God highlights. But it won't say, you know, say you should marry Jim or Jane or whoever. You know, it gives you those great parameters. We don't treat the Bible in a mystical way. But those types of matters, they are particular guidance issues, guidance in specific situations. And when we say, well, what am I to do now, Lord? Which way do I go now? Do I go this or that way? You know, so we have the, the providential guidance that God gives. You know, one preacher gives a very helpful illustration to make these two forms of guidance clear in our minds. You know, if someone was traveling by car on a journey, there are two things they'd need to know. You know, they'd need to know the rules of the road, the highway code, as it were. You know, they'd need to know that you've got to drive on, you know, the left side of the road. They'd, they'd need to know that when you see a red light, you should stop under all circumstances. They need to know the different types of signs, etc. They need to know the, the obedience in that way. And so the Bible is like the highway code for the believer. It gives us the principles, you know, but it wouldn't get us from Penzance to Liverpool if you don't know the way, you know. It gives principles for directions you need a map. And these then are the two forms of guidance. One is instruction in righteousness, the highway code, as it were, and then we need the map. Lord, what am I to do in this situation? And our text is a, a promise from God that he will give us both types of guidance. He will both teach us the ways of righteousness and he will give us that day-to-day -day guidance through life. And they go together, the word and providence. And they don't contradict each other. Sometimes you see people say, oh, well, God's led me this way. And it's a path that is in total contradiction to what the word says in terms of those principles. Well, that isn't right. The Holy Spirit, you know, is the author of Scripture, so he would not go against his word. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my heart. It's a great help to us, and we're going to expand upon that. You know, it's amazing, dear friend. The Bible says that God has works prepared beforehand that we should do. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what he has for us, what he has called us to do, nobody else can do in quite the way that we are to do it. So my life is not your life, you know? And your life is nobody else's life. The Lord has particular providences for each of his own. You know, let me give you a couple of scriptures to show this a little further. You know, there are some lovely texts in the Bible that show this. Psalm 57 verse 2, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. That's a description of the way that God will guide his people in life. In other words, before we were born, you know, he knew the way we would take our things for each one of his children to do in this world. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He has foreordained their lives. Now here it is. We don't know what those things are in detail. We have no special messenger from heaven to tell us where to go, where to work, etc. But it's as we walk in obedience to the Lord that we are led, that we are guided, and we discover step by step. And we can know that nothing is without 
purpose in our lives. You know, Paul believed this. You think of how he said something we at times recite, but we don't often take time to really dig into its meaning. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul believed that he was known of God, ordained of God from his mother's womb to do the things that in the course of history and time in his life, he was led to do. So before he was born, God had appointed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so in his lifetime, God showed him these things and led him on. And as with Paul, so with us, God is guiding us. The footsteps of a righteous man are guided by the Lord. So it's that obedience, that dependence, that looking to the Lord for his leading and his guiding. And you know, when we're in the midst of this world, which at times can be so confusing and so troubled, you know, we have these two precious types of guidance. You know, the instruction that God leaves us in his word as to how we are to live and conduct ourselves, we bring to bear all the great truths and promises which give us clarity as what pleases the Lord And then we have that particular guidance that is given day by day. I will guide you with my eye. The Puritans used to call this daily providential guidance. So you have the truth of God, the word, the great principles and promises, and then that providential guidance of God day by day, and they are connected. As we read the word, as we dwell on the word, as we study the word, as we pray that the Holy Spirit would apply the word, and as we obey it in our lives and work it out, the more God is likely to honor us by giving us that that guidance here below day by day. The more closely we keep to his instructions in the word, the more we will be aware of his day by day providential leading. You know, if we're disobedient and just go about doing our own thing and pleasing ourselves, there's an issue in the relationship. Spurgeon said, the kindness of the Lord is, however, no chance matter. He has promised to do these things. He has done it according to his word. It is very precious to see the word of the Lord fulfilled in our happy experience. It endears the scripture to us and makes us love the Lord of scripture. The book of Providence tallies with the book of promise. What we read in the page of inspiration, we meet again in the pages of our life story. So the word of God, the providence of God coming together in our lives. Let me give you an example. The modern missionary movement began really in the 1790s with an Englishman called William Carey. And he was living in Leicester. He was a cobbler, shoemaker, And also he was a a part-time pastor, minister of the gospel. And he just had this tremendous burden to go to India and to bring the gospel to the unreached world. And gospel mission across the nations was hardly being done at all at that time. And God would use this man along with a number of others to inspire thousands to engage in world missions. And so you had this critical moment in the advance of the gospel, the, the history of missions. Now, after many challenges and difficulties, eventually, William Carey found a ship which the new form missionary society could afford to send him on. And so he, he boarded the ship with his belongings, but such were the circumstances that he couldn't take his wife and his family with him. 
He could only take one of his sons, and that son was Felix. And so Carey was about to depart with his little boy, his wife and the rest of his family seemed, you know, unable to go and they might follow in a future time. And so, you know, there, there was great concern over this. Well, in the providence of God, something extraordinary happened. Suddenly, the captain of the ship came to Carey and told him to get off the ship with all of his belongings and his sons. Told him to, to get all his position, possessions, get all his goods, get off the ship. And far from taking him to India, Carey now found himself back on English soil and he was devastated. He couldn't understand why, why this has happened. Well, we haven't got time for all the details, but God was working. God was overruling in a way that Carey could not see. And what eventually happened was this. Another ship became available and affordable, only this time it was able to take Carey and his whole family so that they could travel together. You know, it's just an example of how God in providence can guide and overrule. And we must never forget that God's frowning providences hide a smiling face. And there are times when the difficult things of life, which can be so very hard and very awful to face, you know, we have to then say that they're not outside God's purpose and leading. And even in the darkest times, God is leading us on. He is guiding our steps, even when we struggle to see or to acknowledge that. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Genesis 24. Abraham's son Isaac was now of an age, and uh, the question was, who would he marry? And so Abraham, being a man of principle and wanting the best for his son, agreed that his oldest faithful servant, Eliezer of Damascus, would go out and find a wife for Isaac. And so they came together, and uh, you know they swore an oath, and Eliezer you know, put his hand under Abraham's thigh, and they swore this oath, only to find a wife who followed the Lord and not a pagan. And it was also agreed that if he found a suitable match, but they wouldn't come back with him, then Eliezer would be released from his oath. So all that was agreed, and the servant took the camels and the fellow servants, and they traveled a long distance from where Abraham was to the home of his relations. Many years had passed since there had been any contact and in the midst of all this, he did what is promised in our text. Eliezer knelt down and he said, Oh God of my master Abraham, show kindness to us and guide us at this time of life. Let it be that the woman who comes to the well and I say, give me a drink, she will say to me, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. Let that be the one. And the words had hardly left his mouth and were told in Scripture, along came Rebekah. A beautiful young lady, the Lord's provision. She did everything that he had prayed about. The servant was astonished. He waited to see what the Lord was doing. And when it became clear that she was the answer, the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. Do you know, those examples are given and written for our comfort, for our assurance. And they teach us this, that God will never, never leave his people without his guidance and without his help. Even in the most difficult situations in life, the Lord's eye is upon us. You know, that's the way God puts it in our text in Psalm 32. It's what we see in Genesis 24. His eye was upon Abram. His eye was upon the fact that Abram walked with God. His eye was upon the fact that Isaac needed a wife. 
God had already provided one. And it's given as a wonderful example of the loving kindness of the Lord. And your duty and my duty as believers is to take these things to ourselves and to realize that in all situations of life, we are to look up and to take God at his word and to plead his promises of guidance. That active dependence upon the Lord and to submit to his will and to his ways. You know, the, the way of true wisdom is to seek God's will through the scriptures in dependence on the spirit by using a renewed mind to work out God's priorities and a renewed will to carry them out. To do the things that he has given us to do, and as we submit and obey, you know, he will take care of the rest in his providence day by day. And there are often times when God graciously grants confirmations through personal experience and external providences showing that he is with us. You know, friends, we are to rely upon the Lord, to seek him. Let me give you another practical example. George Muller. He was a pastor in the 19th century. And he saw that many believers were discouraged in his time. And he saw that they no longer had any expectation that God would do anything unusual in their lives or in their churches. In other words, they no longer trusted God to answer their prayers and work. And so he felt convicted to seek the Lord to guide him into a ministry which could only be explained as a work of God. And he was struck with Psalm 81 verse 10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And he began to seek God's provisions for his work in a way that God would be pleased to provide. And so when God prompted Muller to undertake a project, he prayed for resources, but didn't tell anybody else of the need. He wanted people to be aware of the faithfulness of God and the provision of God. And during his ministry in Bristol, he started the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for the distribution of Scripture and for religious education. He also began an orphanage. By the time of his death, Muller had been used by the Lord to build four orphanages that cared for over 2,000 children at a time. Over 10,000 children were provided for through the orphanages that he started in addition, Muller distributed more than £8 million that had been given to him in answer to prayer. When he died, he was 93. His personal possessions amounted to £800. How did Muller wait on the Lord? How did he seek that, that, that guidance? Well, thankfully, he wrote it down to tell us. He said, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has not will of its own in regard to any given matter. In other words, to lay aside self. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the knowledge of what his will is, not our will. Having done this, I don't leave the result to feeling or simple impression, because if I did, I would make myself liable to great delusion. I then seek the will of the Spirit of God through in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open again to great delusion. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to the Scriptures. Then I take into account providential circumstances. 
These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirit. And I ask God and plead with God to reveal his will to me aright. So through prayer, study of the word, and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is at peace and continues so after two or three more petitions, then I proceed carefully and humbly. That's it. That's seeking of the Lord, humbly, laying oneself before the Lord, being in the word, pleading with the Lord to guide and provide. You know, many of us, we want the quick fix, don't we? We want the, you know, the, the five steps to success, or we want this revealed and that revealed. But really, guidance comes when we're walking closely with the Lord in his word, obedient to him, seeking him day by day. You know, there are times when life circumstances may tempt us to lose grip on things. And it's then we've got to come back and grab hold of the Lord, as it were, and grab onto his word and cling on. And there are times when maybe we're in a situation and we're struggling to know what to do, and that's okay. And then we cry out to the Lord, 2 Chronicles 20, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And the wonder is, dear friends, his eye is always on us. And he will strengthen and lead and guide and provide, and he will never fail us. And that's really where I want to draw these things together to a close. You know, when it says that I will guide you with my eye, how are we to understand that? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you. The eye of God sees our problem. God sees your need. Do you know, if you come this morning, that should be a great comfort to you. You know, especially if you're troubled, especially if you're suffering, and, you know, suffering believers, this should be a great comfort. Do you understand that the Lord knows where you are? He knows what you are facing. He knows what you are going through. He knows what you need. You know, surely that grants some balm to those wounds. You know, I think it's one of the greatest things to be able to pray, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. It's a comfort in the midst of our trials, our perplexities, our uncertainties amongst those that hate us and hate the gospel and hate what we stand for, to be able to look up to the sovereign God and say, Lord, you know. You know all that I'm going through. That's the eye of God. The eye of the Lord is upon you, dear believer. The all-knowing eye of God, and you should never doubt that. He sees your situation. He sees your problems. He sees your difficulties. He sees your burdens. He sees the tears that you shed last night. He sees the, the difficulties that you face now, perhaps at work or school or college, difficulties, uncertainties. He sees your heart for your loved ones. He sees your great concern over the situation that you find is heavy upon your heart. Everything in your life, the Lord knows, and his eyes upon you. You know, some of you may remember the account of Hagar who had to leave because of how Abraham's wife oppressed her. Uh, Sarah came against her. Genesis 16 tells the full story, but Hagar ran away with child and she came to a well. And it was there that the angel of God comforted her. She was amazed to realize that the Lord was watching her. And in Genesis 16, 
It says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahairoi. You are the God who sees. It's true, the Lord sees us, sees his people, sees their trouble, sees their need for help and for guidance. He knows. That's a great comfort. But not only that, the eye of God sees the solution. You know, the God who sees our problems sees the answer to our problem, the solution to our need. There is no such thing as a problem that God cannot solve. You know, there is with us. You know, we often don't know what to do, as it were, from day to day. We face situations and we think, how on earth are we going to get through this? How on earth are we going to get through life? How are we going to sustain and go on with the Lord? How will we at last get through to glory? You know, we want to be with the Lord. How are we going to get there? We know we're to believe in Christ. We know that we're to follow him. We know that we're to obey his word. But we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But, but he does. He knows his eyes upon us. And he will lead us through all the troubles, all the problems. In that lovely hymn, In Heavenly Love Abiding, it says, His wisdom ever waketh, His sight is never dimmed. He knows the way He taketh, and I will walk with Him. You know, it should have such a, a comforting effect upon us. It should liberate us from sometimes crippling fear. We really can cast ourselves upon Him. He really does care for us. He really does understand and he sees our problems, he sees our concerns, and he knows how he will lead us on. It might not be as we envisage it, but he knows how he will lead us on, and we can trust him. We can trust him. And the eye of God also means this. Not only does he see our need, not only does he see the solution, but this is a wonderful thought. The eye of God commands the angels to help us. You know, there's another way in which God's eye helps us, as it were. You know, imagine uh, the picture, if you will, a master hosting a great feast. You've got all the people, you know, have been invited. They're there and they're sat down and they're eating the feast. And all the master's servants are lined up, ready to serve and to wait on the guests. And they, they know what the master wants them to do, these servants. And all he has to do is to look at them at the right time. And they act and they move to serve the guests. And so it is with the hosts of heaven. The Bible says that multitudes of angels wait on God and his eye directs them to come, and I speak in reverence, as ministering servants and spirits to minister to the people of God who love him in this world. Divine help in a real way. His eyes upon his angels to command them to help the Lord's people in every time of need. He sees your need. He sees the solution. He provides the help and at times even angelic help. So friends, here we are on this journey of life. Who are you looking to? We know where we come from. We have come from sin and death. The Lord has saved us out of it this morning if we are believers. Where are we going? Well, we're going to the heavenly kingdom above to see the glory of God. How do we get there? We need him. We need that guidance from his word, this blessed book. The Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We've got to know this book and be in it and study it and love it and to allow it to dwell in us. 
And then we need that providential day-by-day guidance. How do I know what to do next? The answer is, put God first. Honor him, do his revealed will, and he will take care of the rest. And that same God who is able to answer the prayer of saints in the past is able to answer your prayers and mine spectacularly. We all need guidance about many things. It's a perplexing time for Christians. But let us rest in the promises of God. For he himself has said, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And my prayer for all of us is that we might find it to be so. Today, tomorrow, next week and beyond until we close our eyes on this foolish, sinful world and open them to behold the glory of the Savior whose eye was upon us and who led us all the way. The question is, who are you looking to for guidance? We need the Lord, and we have this great promise that what we need, he will give, and he will sustain and keep us until that time when we reach that final destination to be with him forever. And no more will that guidance be necessary because we will be there in that bliss. And what a time it will be. It will be utterly glorious. May God have his hand upon you. Amen.